I want to welcome each and every one of you to the Power Hour. For over 12 years, this service has been about preaching the gospel to those we know and those we don't, to the insiders and the outsiders, to the regular members, the regular guests, and to those who are walking in for the first time. And so I pray for everybody, wherever we're from, whoever we are, that we may have the true encounter with Jesus that we truly need to continue dealing with this life. Today I get the privilege of ending the series that Pastor Henry started last month. For almost eight or seven sessions, he's been focusing on the arrival at the Jordan, the crossing of it, and as of last week, for those who are here for the first time, we are standing between the Jordan and Jericho. And for the sake of suspense or preaching excellence, whatever you want to call it, that's exactly where we're going to leave you. Everybody knows, Pastor Henry, how the battle ended. But my interest in dealing with the summary or conclusion of dealing with what comes next is not to tell you how it ends, but rather to tell you how you should be before it comes to a close. And so I begin by sharing, as always, some historical trivia with you. What you're looking at up on the screen, if you can see clearly, is a map of the Battle of Midway. In 1941, I believe the 7th of February, 1941, the Japanese Air Force performed a surprise attack on Pearl Harbor. The American Navy was not prepared, and many lives were lost that day. In fact, up to that point, during World War II, America was considered the sleeping giant because they would not get involved in the war. But because of the attack on Pearl Harbor, as one of the Japanese generals said, we have woken a sleeping giant. In fact, if there are any Japanese people in the room, I never take that for granted, this is not a America versus Japan because you must know that there were some generals that were against the idea. But an older seasoned general is the one who took the initiative to attack America before they took a side with their allies. As a result, in retaliation, about six or seven months later, June I like to get my dates correct. Sometime in 1942, in the month of June, America sent bombers to Tokyo, and they bombed the heaven, we in church, out of the city of Tokyo. In response to that, the Japanese army decided, I'm sorry, Navy and Air Force decided, we are going to carry out a surprise attack in this midway point called Midway Islands. The idea was to perform a surprise attack like they did on Pearl Harbor because as one historian in the 70s wrote, they who take control of the seas control the world. That's why in the East there are battles and discussions and negotiations about bodies of water around these seas that we call home. Because the one who controls the, the seas controls the world. And so that was Japan's attempt. And at that time, 
the Japanese Navy and Air Force was stronger and more advanced than that of the United States of America. And so they thought, if we take Midway, then we can take Pearl Harbor, and then the rest of the coast is ours. Because of the intelligence, uh, messages were intercepted, and so the, the, the American intelligence discovered that this was the plan. And so what America did was they moved from some na naval ships with uh, fighter jets and, 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 and submarines to get ready for the Japanese force. And so when Japan tried to take Midway, they were met by an overwhelming force. And so was born what is known as the Pacific Wars. But the Battle of Midway only took four days and it was over. In fact, in 2019, a movie was produced. But unlike you, I read the book. Amen, somebody. Midway. Midway is where all of us find ourselves, Pastor, before we get to what's next. Midway is that place where you get to appreciate how far God has brought you, but you understand that there's still more to come. Many relationships, many businesses, many churches, many restaurants. I am cursed when it comes to restaurants. Every restaurant I fall in love with in the city of Jakarta gets closed down for some reason. And so now I pretend not to like the food, but I really do. They keep shutting down. Because when it comes to Midway, many people can't handle what comes next. And so today, I'm here to tell you that I don't care what, your, what next is. I only care about your Midway, how you handle the in-between. In our passage today, there is a character that gets to deal with the Midway. Get your Bibles out. We're going to read from the book of Joshua, chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse number 13 down to verse number 15. I will, in the course of the sermon, deal with the other parts of the chapter, but my entire focus is on verse 13 to 15. The Bible says, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, Are you a friend or a foe? A friend or enemy? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua, the commander of the Israeli army, fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Between what was and what's next is this beautiful place called Midway. And everybody finds themselves in this place at some point in their life, in your work in your pursuits, in your endeavors, whatever it is, there's always a midway place. And because of that, that's the title of today's uh, message, Midway. You can call it the in-between, you can call it no man's land, whatever you want to call it, it's that place where you're neither coming or going, you are, you are seemingly stuck. You've gotten the job, but you don't know what comes next. You just got married and the, the, the euphoria of the wedding day has worn off. Now it's just you and her. 
Same face, a day. Midway. And, and, and that's why, that's why, with all due respect to the table, that's why the, the way people handle midway is what determines what comes next. Like restaurants, a lot of marriages struggle in the first five years because a couple thought that the wedding ceremony was a Harry Potter moment where all of a sudden you are happy till death does you apart. And during the five years, you're hoping that death does you apart. Because you did not prepare for midway. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho. So there's two things, three, three, three things that happen in chapter five. The first two are a group experience, but the last one is for the individual. Because in life, when it comes to the spiritual journey, there are things we do together, and then there are things we, are, we must experience alone. If you came to church hoping that this is it for you, you are doing half the job. Church is just a reminder, but Sunday to Friday, that's life. No, 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 amen. All right, let's keep going. Let's keep going. The, the Jordan represents access. Jericho represents obstacles. See, that's, that's all the Jordan was. God made it easy. Only two spies went in, came back with a report, and this time, this time, the people handled their Red Sea moment a little bit better. In the beginning, the Bible says that when they crossed over the Red Sea and ended up in the wilderness, they developed a complaining spirit. But 40 years later, when they get to the Jordan, this time they are smarter. They are trusting God. They are trusting everything that God is putting in front of them. And so the Bible says that the Jordan waters opened up. Everybody crosses over. They put some stones as reminders. And now everybody's on the other side. The new generation of the wilderness and two from Egypt, Caleb and Joshua, now they are stuck between access and obstacles. Here's my issue with all of us in the room today. We have a habit of praying for access more than we do for obstacles. We are excited when the thing happens, but what comes next, we are never prepared for it. We only want access from God, but God be damned if he causes obstacles to come in front of us. Pastor, I thought that when I got baptized, life would be easier. Pastor, I thought when I got married, all those boys will stop bothering me. I want to let you know right now that there's, there's, there's something about being married that just causes people to respect you less. Obstacles are going to come no matter what happens. Obstacles are going to come no matter what happens. Don't just pray for access. Prepare yourself for obstacles. You see, the Japanese army had gained access, but they forgot that there was a real obstacle coming, which was midway. Uh, what, what you're looking at to your, to your left? Is that, is that your left? Yes, to your left is the SpaceX... Marvel called the Falcon Heavy. This is one of uh, Elon Musk's projects to get him to Mars. You see, he's such a dreamer that he doesn't care about the moon. He wants, he wants Mars, right? And the interesting fact about space travel is that it takes more energy for the the rocket to leave the ground and enter into space, which is about 100 kilometers, more energy is required to get into orbit than it is to go around the earth. Does anybody know the distance around the earth? 
Of course you don't. But you know that JLo and Ben got engaged. Or married, don't care. It's about 40,000 kilometers around the earth. But it takes more energy to leave the surface, to get into space, than it does to go around. Because guess what? More energy is needed in midway than is needed in space. Sometimes it takes more effort just to get out of bed. Sometimes it takes more effort just to start doing your job. Pastor, you're working on a book right now. Getting started is the hardest part. But the moment you get in between, it starts to just roll out of you. Getting started for a lot of people is difficult. And so because they don't know how to start, they cannot handle the midway, let alone what comes next. At the top of the quote, you can see uh, uh, that is uh, 747. The amount of power that the Falcon Heavy takes to lift off is the equivalent of 18 Boeing 747s. Don't worry about the, st the statistics. Think about your life. Just getting started is difficult. And so Lord help us with Midway. Amen, somebody. The first thing and the second thing that happens before our main text, the Bible says in verses 2 and 10, at that time, the Lord told Joshua, I, I love, pause, I, I love the Old Testament record. There are a lot of situations where the Bible says, and the Lord told, and the Lord said, and the Lord said, if only, pastor, we had that experience today. What we have today is not, and the Lord said, but what we have is people saying, God told me. There's a lot of God told, God told me to marry you. No, he didn't. Leave it alone. Uh, some people didn't come back last week because of your mouth, Pastor Thomas. Let's keep going. Make flint knives and circumcise this second generation of the Israelites. The second generation, the one that never saw slavery, the one that never saw the Red Sea open, the generation that was born during the time of manna, during the time of a cloud by day and a fire by night, during the time when the shoes didn't wear off, during the time when God kept away the snakes and the scorpions, that's the second generation. The second generation had not been circumcised. And so before they go in, God requires two things of the whole nation. Number one, all those who are part of the second generation, which is practically everybody, must get circumcised. And the first to get circumcised was the army. You try convincing a whole army to get circumcised before facing the walls of Jericho. But Israel knows better than to disobey God. And the Bible says they agreed to be circumcised. In case you don't know what circumcision is, it's the cutting away of the foreskin. Because before you go in, something has to be cut off. Amen, somebody. And after the cutaway comes the celebration. The second thing that God said is, after you circumcise the second generation of males, the next thing I want you to do is to celebrate your first Passover before you actually pass over. And so the statement that I brought up with this idea is simply this. Before celebration comes the cutting away. In case you don't understand, because I'm, I'm not really a theological preacher, let me illustrate it for you. Four milestone events in the lives of people. Graduation, vacation, wedding celebration, and baptism. Do you realize that four of these experiences require a cutting away? When you graduate, you are no longer required to go and fulfill the requirements of the school. You're no longer required to mark attendance. You're no longer required to work on the thesis. You're done now. And that's why students throw up the caps because they're cutting away school and getting into the workforce. So you cut away before you celebrate. Same with marriage. You cut away. Gentlemen, you, you cut away 
you're, you're freedom, but you get happy. You get happy in case there's somebody who's planning to get married. It's a very happy experience, but you cut away some freedoms. Before you were married, you'd get texts like, uh, what are you doing? Are we having lunch today? After marriage, it's, where are you? What time are you coming home? Don't cut away after, cut away before. Amen, somebody. With work, before you go on vacation, you tell your employers or employees, don't text me, don't email me, don't even send a fire signal. I am unavailable for the next two weeks. You cut away and you have some fun. But the most uh, awesome one is the baptism. Before you're baptized, you make a public pledge that says, I am going to cut away from everything that stands between me and Jesus. And when you cut it away, you can celebrate. The baptism was uh, after two and a half years of being quarantined and separated from each other. It was, it was amazing and exciting for me to be a part of a baptism after so long. Uh, I don't know, there are, there are very few things in the spiritual world today that excite people. And, and, and I would hope that we don't stop being excited when a soul comes into the kingdom of God. Because they've been given access. They're about to face some obstacles. It's our responsibility to help them through it. Amen, somebody. They've cut away, now they need to celebrate. We can help them with that. So life is the same. If there's anything you're trying to do, you need to cut away before you can celebrate. I am currently 19 kgs in weight right now. If you didn't hear the number, that's, that's your problem. My goal is 88 kgs. And I know you can't see it, but I'm, I weigh a lot. I'm, I'm big boned, right? I'm 94 kgs in weight. Right now, I'm trying to cut it off, Pastor. I've increased my, my running and, 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 and jogging. No, no, my walking. Let me be honest, my walking. I've increased it from two kilometers to four kilometers. Next week, it's five kilometers, and every week I add one or two. The walking is not the problem. It's cutting out almond ice cream, then minimal chitato. What's the flavor? Is it the green one, the light green? What you call that one? No, no, not the seaweed. That's nonsense. The other one. The sour cream. Oh, Lord have mercy. I, I, I eat those every day. So I'm burning about 200 calories in the gym and I'm eating about 500 and adding on top. So basically, before I celebrate, I need to cut off some stuff. Okay. They say if you talk about it in public, you get better results. The rituals and experiences we share as a community should always lead to private encounters with God. I said it at the beginning. If you're coming to church and, and this is it, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. There, there were a lot of people that really struggled during the pandemic because online worship was not their forte. For a lot of people, being in the house of the Lord is as religious as they get. And so for almost two and a half years and counting, a lot of people struggled. And now that we're back in the building, some of them are not back, Pastor. They got so used to being at home and not coming to worship that they, they're not ready yet to give that up. Because this was all it was, and the well went dry, no power to lift them off in midway. But I'm here to say to you that whatever comes next, you need to get ready right now. Your mindset, your heart set, everything about you needs to get ready for what the devil is going to throw at you. Because believe me, the devil comes in midway. Now, we are at the meat of the message. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, uh, as the leader, Joshua has taken over the mantle from Moses. Out of courtesy, the Lord has spoken to him in chapter 1 and told him that I am going to be with you as much as I was with Moses. 
And God has proven this up to this point. Because in chapter 4, not only has God approved of Joshua, but now even the people have approved of him. The nation has decided, he ain't Moses, but we love him nonetheless. We will follow his leadership. We will follow what he's got to say because he has proven that he is a man of God. The, 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 the Jordan was an act of God. But remember, Joshua is a soldier. Joshua is a military man. And so when he heard the report about Jericho, his military training kicks into gear. And so after the circumcision and after the Passover and after the rest period, Joshua separates himself from everybody and he's sitting near Jericho. The Bible doesn't tell us what is on the mind of Joshua. It doesn't tell us what he's thinking about. It doesn't tell us, is he happy? Is he upset? Is he contemplating the battle to come? Or is he questioning his leadership? It does not say, but what I do know is, as a leader, he is thinking about what comes next. That moment where Joshua is, that's his midway. Between access and obstacles, this trained soldier doesn't know what to do. And in that moment, he looks up and he sees a soldier dressed in military gear that does not belong to Israel. He doesn't know this man. In fact, Israel doesn't even have military gear. These are wanderers from the wilderness. The only trained soldier is himself and a few that he's taken with him along the way. So a man dressed in military garb with a sword drawn comes up to him and Joshua asks a question that you and I should ask in our midway. Are you a friend or are you an enemy? Do we ask the people around us? Well, don't, don't ask directly, are you a friend or an enemy? You're not going to get the answer. Okay? Okay, for the ladies, it's easy. Do you want to know how you can tell who's a friend? When you take a picture, if the person is standing next to you and they're smiling, that's a friend. But if they're standing at the end of the line and they're smiling, but when they stand next to you, they're not smiling, that's an enemy. If she asks you how much were your shoes or your bag, she's an enemy. Friends do not ask each other the price of stuff. Am I right, ladies? See, the ladies are like, yep, stop asking me, girl. And don't Google either. My wife likes to Google the price of gifts that we receive. Okay. That's a way too much information I just shared. So I, I understand. I understand. I understand why Joshua is asking the question. Joshua heard from Rahab that the people of Jericho are expecting them. The former harlot has informed uh, the two spies that we are afraid of you. We saw the Jordan open. We've seen and heard what God does for you. So the enemies are afraid. And so when Joshua sees a soldier, his training kicks into gear and he demands, the Bible says, he demands, are you a friend or a foe? And I'm here to tell you guys, it was okay for Joshua to ask. But it's not always okay for you and I to ask. We live in a generation where people are asking, is God a friend or an enemy? I want you to know, first of all, that there are battles you need to fight in private before you can fight the public ones. Again, again, we struggle in public because we have not fought in private. Over and over again, Pastor, the young guys keep coming to ask, how do you manage to stand on stage and not be afraid? That's because I stand in front of the mirror and I repeat and repeat and repeat. A lot of people think we don't write our sermons. 
But we have scripts. We've, we've gone over it over and over and over again. So that by the time I stand in front of you, the only thing that intimidates me is your lack of smiles. That's life. If you don't prepare in your midway, you'll never be able to deal with what comes next. So in your private moments, instead of scrolling, start praying. Instead of playing, start praying. Instead of consuming your every waking moment with nonsense, why not uh, commit to something that has sense? Why not consume some spirituality? Why do we need to force you to say amen? Because this is the only place where you get to say amen. Do you ever say amen when you're reading the Bible alone? Or are you looking at the watch to say, is it five minutes yet? Okay. We have communion. So what are the things that Joshua is contemplating that I believe we need to contemplate in our midway? I like to play with words, so I'm going to do it right now. I believe that when it comes to midway, whatever you're looking forward to in life, there are three things that must come to mind and you must wrestle with. Whether it's moving to a new country, taking up a new job, whatever experience it is that's coming up next, there are three things that every human being consciously or subconsciously deals with in some shape or form. And the first one is identity. Who am I? Can I handle this job? Can I handle this relationship? Do I have what it takes to lead this group of people? Do I have what it takes to stand up and speak to an audience? Am I qualified enough to correct my children? Am I a good parent? Everybody deals with identity in one shape or another. The sad thing is, no hate on social media, a lot of people are discovering identity online based on the responses that people give them. The more likes I have, it means I'm a great person. And so we keep going further and further and further and we keep pushing the envelope so that we are determining our identity by what somebody else says. But Joshua understood that his identity was based on the God that called him. What else do we wrestle with in Midway? Ideology. What do I believe? What are my values? What is my belief system? What is it that I bring from the past into this experience? Because no matter who you are, there's always something about the past that you will carry with you. Whether it's social, whether it's spiritual, whether it's psychological, it comes with you. Your ideologies in life will carry you wherever you go, no matter what you're doing. Third thing, got to move quick. Your idols. The idols, the things that you love. Are you defined by the latest thing that you buy? Or is it just a tool? Are you defined by your clothes or do you buy them because they're good and you can afford them? Are you posting about your life because you're celebrating it? Or like we said last week, you're looking for evidence? What are your identity markers? What is your ideologies? And what are the idols you need to get rid of? Because if you don't get rid of your idols, you will wander for 40 years, four years or four months, not knowing what to do next. I have the privilege of praying with and talking to young people around the world. The pandemic provided a, a beautiful opportunity to interact with people at different stages of their life. Whether it was relationships, whether it was career, whether it was dealing with family. They are dealing with these three things. And so I'm sharing with you what I share with them. Wrestle with this before you get into the world and you will do just fine. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you a friend? Or a foe. I want you to know that God doesn't show up to take sides. He shows up to take over. I love the, the soldier's response. 
The soldier gave the kind of response that my son gives whenever my wife asks him a question before we get there. Just because God lets you do what you want doesn't make him your friend. Just because God gives you permission to act the fool doesn't mean he's your friend. Just because God lets you do what you want doesn't make him your friend. Prodigal son, prodigal daughter, just because you're doing what you want and nothing bad is happening, it doesn't mean that God approves of it. God is not your friend. At the same time, just because God denies you what you want does not make him your enemy. Don't reduce God to the things that you want. Elevate him to who he is without doing anything. If you can praise him when he's done nothing, when he does something, you will dance around to glorify his name. But if you're waiting for God to prove himself, what about this? What about this? Is his death not enough to sit in this place? Pastor, I can't come to church anymore. God didn't save my child. God didn't save my marriage. God didn't save my health. The cancer didn't go away. Why should I worship him? See, there's a, there's a dark side to faith that we, we try to avoid. We, we like the good stuff, but we, we deny the bad. We don't want to deal with the obstacles. And I'm here to tell you, unequivocally, God is neither your friend or your enemy. Nobody likes that. Are you friend or foe? The soldier responds, no. Whenever my son is asked, do you want apple or do you want watermelon? He'll say yes. Uh, Riley, which one is it? Yes. Because to him, he wants both. Riley, do you want to go to bed or do you want to go sleep? Do you want to go to bed or do you want to go brush your teeth? No. I want to play with my toys. His answers have nothing to do with the question. And I want you guys to understand that that's God. If you can process this in your mind, God doesn't care about what you want until you want what God cares about. So when the angel, when that being responds to him, the being is saying, listen, I'm not here to take your side. I'm about my business. So if you're with me, is the real question. The question is not God your enemy, is God your friend? No, the real question is, are you God's enemy? Are you God's friend? Do you know how you prove that you're God's friend or enemy? The life that you live. Not church attendance, not how much you give, pastor, not how many sermons we preach. The life you live determines whether you are God's friend or not. Uh, uh, I am the commander of the Lord's army. We believe uh, across the board in, in Christianity, we believe that this was um, an anthropomorphic appearance of Jesus Christ. One of many in the Old Testament. For some reason, this time, 40 years later, instead of sending an angel, instead of sending Gabriel, Jesus decides himself to come in a form that Joshua needed. Because when it comes to your life, God appears in the form that you need. Let me break it down to you. God will be what he needs to be based on the circumstances. You're not with me. When, when Elizabeth and Sarah were old and couldn't have children, God came in the form of an OBGYN. When Peter was drowning, Jesus came in the form of a lifeguard. When Paul was persecuting the church, Jesus came in the form of a Lord and a Savior. Can I keep going? God comes in the form that you need. 
God will always appear in your life through the words of people, through what you read, based on what you need. When it's time for battle, Jesus is ready to fight with you. I don't like these cute pictures of Jesus carrying a lamb and, and hugging you, keeping you from the devil. That is the lie. Jesus stands with a sword in his hand, ready to go to battle for you. Instead of Jesus lifting up the sword and us bowing down, we are lifting the sword against him and he has to bow down. At this time, the Bible says that Joshua fell with his face to the ground because Joshua knew, I'm not just in the presence of an angel. I'm in the presence of God himself. You see, God didn't want them worshiping idols. He didn't want them making the mistakes of the golden calf. And so he comes himself and he tells Joshua, you are not the army, the general of this army. I am. Who's the captain of your ship? Who's driving the car? Who's running the family? Who's running the business? Who's in charge of the relationship? Is it you? Because what we do is we bring our requests to God, but really they're not requests, they're demands. Lord, take this and bless it. I can testify that when you do that, God will make you wonder for many years. You'll keep trying and trying and sometimes you'll get it, but it will slip between your fingers like sand. But when you bow down and you allow Jesus to unite your life and to approve of your life, then good things begin to happen. Amen, somebody. I know it sounds like I'm angry, but I'm not. I'm really excited. The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Because in midway, it's wise to do as you are told. If you don't do as you're told, happiness will never follow. No joy, no love, no peace, no grace, nothing. All because you refused to go according to what God said. I promise you, I'm not speaking to you. I'm speaking to myself. If we don't do what God has said, if we keep listening to wokeism and all this progressive nonsense that the world is throwing at us, we are going to go down with the sinking ship called secularism. And Joshua did, as he was told, because that's how he lived his life. Turn your midway into an encounter with the Holy God. Yes, uh, Again, I don't know and I don't care what your midway is, but I want you to, 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 to use midway as a place of meditation, as a, as a place of prayer. I, I want you to use it as a place of preparation. I, I want you to use it as a point of reference. Lord, what, what do you want for my life? What, what should I do now? Young people, make it a habit of not just doing yoga and all these Eastern practices and ignoring prayer and Bible study. Introduce God into your life before you make a decision. I know the YouTubers told you that you got to live that hustle life. You got to live that boss lady life. I know what they've said to you, but have you heard what Jesus had to say? Turn your midway into an encounter with the Holy God. The angel didn't come with the military strategy. He came to cause Joshua to bow down. Now, when I started, I said that there are three things in chapter five. Number one, circumcision, group experience. Number two, Passover, group experience. But this encounter was personal, very, very personal. And so as I conclude this message today, I want to give somebody an opportunity to have a personal encounter in this moment. Before we partake of the bread, let's give ourselves to the Lord in a very significant way. If you're saying, 
Because we've got to end it. We've got to eat some bread and drink some wine. You're saying, Lord, I, I, I'm at my midway right now. Either I'm overconfident because I think I got it figured out, or I'm scared. I'm scared because I've, I've been here before and I've failed. Or I'm scared because this is my first time. I've, I've sought counsel. I've, I've listened to what the pastor has to say, but I'm still afraid. And so, Lord, I, I want you to help me with my midway. Give me the power I need to step over. If that's you, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Don't stand if it's not you. I, 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 don't, I don't do a numbers game. I, I want you to, to understand what this means. We are all at a midway. And some of us, it's, it's taking just a spark, a, a, a confidence boost from the Lord. Something to get us over the edge. No, entertainment won't do it. No, getting intoxicated won't do it. You know that by now, it doesn't work. Anything you got to keep repeating over and over, doesn't work. What you need as a believer is something deeper and richer. And that is to drop to your knees before a holy God. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Again, we are about to partake of the Lord's Supper. And I think leaving the message here is appropriate because Joshua is on his knees. Joshua is still before the Lord. He's about to hear instructions on how to deal with obstacles. But before God tells him, I want you to treat your midway like a holy place. Because when something is treated as holy, it becomes a place of remembrance. It becomes a place of reference. It becomes the place where we honor God for what he's about to do. Lord, this is not some religious rhetoric about how to make it in life. It is an all or nothing decision. We are standing up with our heads bowed because we recognize that without you, we cannot deal with what comes next. We've been given all the tools that we need over the past eight weeks. Pastor Henry has labored six weeks talking about what next. We've had a chance to think about it. We've had a chance to evaluate and make the necessary changes. But here we are with our heads bowed, standing on holy ground. Most of us are about to take, partake in the Lord's Supper, a reminder of the act of Jesus dying for our sins and living again. Now each of us get to take that and apply it to our experiences every day. Sometimes we die in our jobs. Sometimes we die in our relationships. Sometimes our health habits are killing us. We're dying just a little bit. But just like Christ rising again, we can experience the same. Our lives can be restored again. The thing that was broken before can be restored and, be, and can become what next. What next is not always something new. Sometimes it's something broken that God has restored. The Bible says that the Lord will make up for the years that the locust has eaten. Somebody is standing right now thinking about the thing that is broken. And they are saying, Lord, I'm at my midway. I'm about to give up. There's this new idea called quiet quitting where people stay in their jobs but quit. They don't do enough. People stay in relationships but don't do enough. People in church but they don't do enough. But Lord, that's midway. We need you. We can't do it alone. Help us, Father. 
Save us because we cannot save ourselves. Give us sight because we are blind. Give us strength because we are weak. Find us because we are lost. Be God in our lives. Yes, you can be a friend, but really you are God. Yes, you can be a companion in our loneliness, but really you are our Lord and Savior. May we put you back on the throne and may we stand before you with one simple question. Lord, what do you want me to do? In Jesus' name, let everybody say amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I know God spoke to you. I know you want to respond, but you may not know how. You may not know when. Let me tell you the how. There's a number on the screen. Reach out to us and we're going to show you the next house. Let me tell you when. Right now. Right now. Don't delay. Today, if you hear your voice, today, today, respond. Perhaps the Lord also has impacted you and you'd like to give and partner with us in ministry. We have an account number on the screen, kindly give. Whatever gift, whatever amount, trust me, we'll be more than grateful and happy for it. And it's gonna help us to proclaim the love of Jesus. Until then, take care. God bless you.